Lord Jesus Christ, you truly are our treasure, and we pray our heart will be with you. But we also pray that your spirit would be here with us, working among us, working in our hearts and minds and our lives through your word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I just have to do one, one thing first. Uh, checking the choir. Good. Most of them came back. This is the second service, and it's always a sign for me how well the sermon went. If... <laughs> Truly, it's a pleasure to have you lead worship, and I, I thank you, every, every one of you, for that. Um, today, today, we get to listen in on Jesus, to hear him talk to tell a parable, and to teach. <laughs> and because we're listening in, the story is for us too. He meant it for you to hear it today. But the challenge for us here in the 21st century and in our Western culture is to pick up on all the stuff that's going on in this story. And often the 2,000 years that separate us Separate us from that story, that's not nearly so great as the distance between our cultures. So I hope to help you with that today. The parable that we're taking a look at today is found in Luke 12, 13 to 21, as you just heard read by Steve. Thank you, Steve. Perhaps you'd like to open your Bible, or open your phone Bible, or the Pew Bible, which is page 871. Take some notes in the margin or in the worship folder. First of all, and as you're doing that, I, I can't emphasize this enough, this parable is not a caution against wealth. Yes, the rich man is rich, but there's no condemnation about being rich here from Jesus. There is no warning against making plans. In fact, making plans can be very godly. And there's no indictment against big or bigger barns. But it is, however, all about wisdom. It's all about stewardship of life. It's all about the bigger picture. The reality of a temporal life with an eternal and godly perspective. Being rich, making plans, bigger barns. That's the what stuff. This story is about the why. So let's get into it. In Luke 12, there are thousands of people who have gathered to hear Jesus. Thousands. Jesus has been doing some amazing stuff and saying some amazing stuff. And people are flocking to see Jesus, to hear Jesus. So many, in fact, it says they're trampling each other. This man is different. This man somehow makes God seem closer, more real. And here in verse 13, somebody in the crowd calls out to Jesus unexpectedly, teacher, rabbi. We aren't told who it is. Perhaps it's just somebody in the crowd. But by the fact he calls Jesus rabbi or teacher, he is, he's indicating that Jesus is someone he respects, someone with some authority. Maybe it's one of the larger crowd of disciples that are following Jesus, but we're not told. We don't know. But he's got a problem and he wants Jesus to, well, back him up and agree with him. He asked Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Apparently sometime before his father died and the, the brothers have together inherited most likely the family land. And the situation has caused a lot of tension for them. And I think we can assume one of them has plans and the other one isn't cooperating. And there's probably a long history here between the brothers. The Bible is full of such stories, the stories of families who don't get along. Perhaps maybe there's a jealousy about who was mom's favorite. Maybe there was some bitterness over a girlfriend. Maybe, maybe one of them postponed everything to take care of alien parents. Maybe it's just practical. One of the brothers wants to subdivide the land and the other wants to keep the family farm intact. Perhaps they're telling the farmhands different things. And now nothing is getting done because of the confusion. Psalm 133 has something beautiful to say about this whole situation. It says, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Whatever it was, whatever reason it was, these brothers have no harmony. Rabbi, the brother asks, tell my brother to do what I want. That's what he's saying. He's already decided what he wants and that it's rightfully his. He's looking for justice, his justice. And his brother doesn't matter. This guy isn't coming to Jesus for him to decide what's best for the brothers, for the family. He just wants Jesus to play the heavy and to pressure his brother. He doesn't want a mediator or an arbitrator. He wants a judge. And in previous cases like this, other rabbis have set such a precedent. And Rabbi Jesus, well, he should certainly understand his cry for relief the trouble is, when we feel like we're owed something, that we're entitled to something, we usually underestimate what is also due our brother, our neighbor, right? Our bias is already skewed. So we've got this brother unwilling to view this crisis from any other perspective than his own. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And in verse 14, Jesus answers, Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man, he says. And I bet at that point the crowd around them start to look at each other and go, Oh, this is going to be good. Because, oh, man, here isn't meant to be philosophical or rhetorical or poetical. It's more like when we go, Man, I can't believe you're saying that. And Jesus goes, man, I can't believe you're saying that. Who made me the judge and divider over you two? It's Jesus who's complaining now, and we see it in his choice of words, judge and divider. The word judge we understand pretty easily. But the word for divider here, most often it's translated in the Bible as arbitrator in this passage. But divider is much more closer to what Jesus is saying. There's obviously now here a broken relationship between this man and his brother. And he's come to ask that this broken relationship become finalized by a total division. Divide the inheritance. Divide the land. And divide the relationship. 
So Jesus reacts and says, why are you making me a divider between you and your brother? That's not who I am. In John 3, 17, we're taught that Jesus didn't come to judge the world and to divide the world from God, but that the world might be reconciled to God. St. Paul, 1 Timothy, calls Jesus the mediator between God and man. And if we look at the Greek here, we catch this wonderful wordplay that's going on. In Greek, the word for divider is maristes. And Jesus says he is not a maristes, a divider. And if he's not a maristes, he's a mesites, a mesites, a reconciler, a mediator. What the brothers need is not a division of property, but a reconcilement in their relationship. The brother needs a change of heart, a new perspective. And in fact, we all do, don't we? We need to stop thinking about me and mine and realize that there's a, a greater treasure at stake here. There's much more that's in jeopardy. There's too much more at risk than getting or losing an inheritance. And Jesus wants him to see that. He also wants the whole crowd to see that. He wants us to see that. So in verse 15, Jesus gives them a warning. And I think he, I think he says that with a sigh. Watch out, guys. He wants to teach them so they don't have to learn the lesson the hard way, a bitter way. So he says, watch out, in verse 15. Watch out for excesses in your desires. Watch out for an insatiable desire for anything. In particular, watch out for your desire to possess an excess of things. Man, Jesus says, your problem won't be solved by this inheritance, by this treasure. Because this treasure, this financial surplus, is leading his heart in the wrong direction. Because the abundant life isn't made through abundant things. Life is not measured up by how much you own. In saying that, Jesus wants the brother to deal with the real problem, the real question. The same question Jesus is asking the crowd. The same question that Jesus is asking us. If things don't guarantee a rich life, what does? If treasure isn't found in the surplus of what we inherit and acquire, if treasure isn't found in what we lust after or can consume, where is this treasure found? And to make sure that they heard the question, Jesus tells them a story. Verse 16. It's about a rich man who gets richer. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an exceedingly good harvest, and he thought to himself, Self, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years. I'll take life easy, eat, drink, 
and be merry. Now mark in your Bible next to this story, Psalm 49. People would have known this psalm. They would have known its theme. Psalm 49 and Ecclesiastes and Job deal with the pursuit of wealth, seeking, grabbing more and more, when it's really just meaningless in the end, considering that you can't take it with you. But Jesus is throwing just a little curveball here. See, this guy is already rich, which means he already has more than enough. And Jesus doesn't criticize that. But then without any effort on his part, this rich man's given a bumper crop, that exceedingly good harvest, this abundant harvest, was a gift from God, from the seed and the soil and the rain and the sun that God created and lent to him for his use. The guy had nothing to do with it. So this story isn't about how we acquire things. It's, <laughs> it's about how... We dispose of things. The rich man doesn't earn this bonus. Doesn't, he doesn't even need it. And in fact, it just causes a problem. In verse 17, he debates with himself, what am I going to do with all my crops? And he doesn't go talk to the town elders. He doesn't look for anybody else's advice. He's just talking to himself, looking out for himself. How do we know this? Well, take a look at the pronouns in this part of Jesus' story. Do you see them all? Every one of them is personal and possessive. Look at his plan in verse 18. The rich man is going to pull down his substantial barns and build even larger ones. His plan is to keep it all because it's been given to him, because it's mine. The crops are mine, he says. The barns are mine. The surplus is mine. And yes, even me my soul, it's mine. And perhaps all of this reminds you of this famous scene from Pixar. Mine, mine. That's what? Finding Nemo, right? You guys. This man doesn't know any other pronoun. What does he plan to do with it all? Enjoy it. This rich guy tells himself that he's going to eat, he's going to drink, he's going to be merry. He is, verse 19, according to the Greek, he's euphoric. Here's what he's saying. Enjoy a great harvest, enjoy a great life. All he needs for an even better life is to just find a place for all his stuff. Apparently, though, it looks like he's going to enjoy it alone. Relax, enjoy life, he says, but he only invites himself. He doesn't even mention family, <clears throat> though he probably had some. There's no talk of friends. So you have to wonder if there's anybody left among his connections or have they <clears throat> all been replaced by his possessions? Just who is he going to raise his glass with and say, cheers? Well, he's a sponge, a soaking, wet sponge. And he's already should be dripping a little bit. 
And God is going to pour a lot more into them. And what should have happened? It should have been a flood pouring out of him, a flood into his family, a flood into his neighbors, a flood into his village. But this guy, this sponge, he's just soaking it all up. So who's he going to raise a glass with? Well, it won't be God. In verse 20, God speaks directly to this rich man and says, you fool, you stupid fool. And yes, that's the right translation. You think this is a great life? It's an empty life. And tonight, it will be demanded of you. And I will demand payment for every breath that I lent you. And Jesus is using the language of a banker here. He says that this rich man's soul, his life has been lent to him by God. But so has all his wealth, all his crops. And the final sting, the final blow, God asks him, and who will enjoy what you thought was yours? It's a chilling indictment. The man has walled himself off. Can he even predict who's going to enjoy what's left? The crowd that's listening to all this, they want to know what this man is going to say next. What will he do next? But there is nothing but silence in this story. Jesus doesn't tell him what this rich man does. And this question hangs in the air. Where is, where is the best place to store this exceedingly good harvest? Is it barns or maybe bellies? You know, store it in his barns or see it stored in the bellies of the hungry who need it. Where is the best place to store the treasure of his life? Spend it fruitlessly on himself, even if he gets to spend it? Or invest in the family of God for an even greater yield? And what about the brother who's standing there who caused this story to be told? This brother with an inheritance problem? How does he answer after this story? And again, there's just silence. We don't know. We don't know what he'll do. Jesus confronted him <laughs> with the real problem. The problem isn't his brother. It isn't even in the inheritance. The real problem he's pressed to address is who will he serve? Serve himself? Or will he serve the relationship? Will he work to reconcile with his brother and gain back that greater treasure? Will he find a way to bless his brother and find in that even greater riches? And Jesus leaves all his listeners with the same question. What will you do with the surpluses that God is bringing your way? He will provide for you but he also lends you more than enough. Maybe it's in the form of treasure, or maybe, maybe it's time. Or maybe it's your talents and your abilities. Do I keep them for myself, or do I use them for others? And Jesus has just this last final word of advice or wisdom. What happened with the rich man is 
how it will be with whoever builds a treasure for themselves and is not gathering riches for God. (laughs) In other words, God wants, yes, God demands payment for the life he lent you. What have you got to show for it? (laughs) Well, that's a hard saying. Who can do this? Who can do it every time? Who can do it perfectly? I know I can't. I know I don't. I have this rugged self-interest. I worry about what I have and what I deserve. I wonder why God doesn't give me more. And I, and I miss seeing all that he does give me. The good news is that Jesus spent all of his wealth on desperate needy, unworthy people like me, like you. He knew exactly how poor we were, having spent it all addicted to self and sin. And yet Philippians 2 teaches us that he gave it all all the way to serve us. Yes, even his life nailed to the cross for us. And now our debt is paid. Even though we keep increasing it, Jesus paid it all. And now if we believe in him, trust in him, we have his power at work in us. We have his spirit at work in us. And we don't have to worry about building new barns for our future. He's going to take care of that. We don't have to have to gather a treasure in heaven to pay for our debts. We, we get to gather riches for God in the people around us. And we do it by looking and living and loving more like Jesus every day and helping others to do the same. So has this parable begun to press on an issue in your life? this morning? Is there a family in your life that you have a problem with? Is there a broken relationship with a brother or sister in Christ or a neighbor? Will it mean giving up some dignity to gain some humility? And when you examine your habits, do you see how material things have all of a sudden become this security blanket and you you want bigger barns? Or do you discover some unexpected frustrations because of what you don't have? You're afraid of empty barns. When we look at the pronouns in our story, how many of them are me or my or mine? Do you want to wrestle with that this week? I I challenge you to wrestle with that this week. And how about doing it in prayer? How about asking Jesus, why am I so insecure when you are all I need? How about asking the Father to show you where he's he's giving you right now this extra measure of goods and asking him where he wants you to store it or asking the Spirit to give you even more of his fruit Fruits you're entitled to inherit as his son or daughter. And then do some cultivating in your life to grow 
love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Pick up a take-it-home on the way home today. Go on out the door so that you can hear this parable again every day this week and work through it every day this week. And when we find that we have a problem again with our pronouns, when we catch ourselves thinking me, my, mine, may we remember, remember these words of Jesus found in Luke 24. Why are you troubled? Why are your hearts filled with doubts? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. That I would suffer and die and rise from the dead for the forgiveness of sins of all. And you all are witnesses of this. Amen.